Now, The Interpreter Show, with discussion, debate, and the latest information on all kinds of religious issues and topics. Good evening, everyone. Welcome back to the second hour of the Interpreter Foundation Radio. We want to welcome all of you on behalf of myself, Terry Hutchinson, and my co-hosts, John Gee, Kevin Christensen, and joined by our new co-host, Mark Johnson. Um, Our program this evening is brought to you once again, as we mentioned, by the Interpreter Foundation. Uh, Just visit the website, interpreterfoundation.org. The last segment of our program, for the last 20 minutes or so, we want to talk about the use of Isaiah in the Book of Mormon in particular. And I want to begin by um, just telling everybody that a, a book that I highly recommend is from Donald W. Perry. Um, one of these days we'll try and get Brother Perry on the program with us, but uh, it's called Search Diligently the Words of Isaiah. Now, I'm usually pretty wired in on the book world. I'm, I'm in with the Religious Studies Center now. I usually get their stuff. And all of a sudden, I showed up there to get my stack, and there it was. I hadn't even heard of it. But I was really pleased with what it what it said, and, and it's, a, it's a very uh, good and astute brief uh, study of Isaiah. And it's advice from Brother Perry, who actually is one of the world experts, on Isaiah, I think it's fair to say that. Yeah, he's he's got a public one of the books uh, he has on Isaiah was published by uh, Brill in yes. the Netherlands, mm-hmm. and goes through every variant in Isaiah between the Dead Sea Scrolls and the Masoretic text. And, and, and I'm usually okay with Brill books, even technical ones, but that one was way out of my league, just way. <laughs> it was. It's. Uh, yeah, it's about an inch and a half thick and uh, very thorough. <laughs> yes. So anyway, I would recommend this. Once again, search diligently the words of Isaiah. He's got a shorter essay similar in the Steadfast in Defense of Faith, which is published by the Interpreter Foundation. It was essays in honor of Daniel Peterson, and John has an essay in there as well. And... Um, you know, he talks about various ways, various techniques, different things. But one of the things about the book that, that kind of struck me, and I thought I'd throw that out with some of you, is at the end he's got questions and responses, particularly about Isaiah in the Book of Mormon. And so, um, you know, one of the things that comes up is this idea of the what they call the unity of the Book of Mormon or multiple, you know, Writers of the Book of Mormon. Or Book of Mormon or Book, Excuse Mormon me, or the Book, Book of, of Isaiah. Isaiah. I'm okay. mixed up. Sorry. Let's yeah. Let's <laughs> let's correct that. Yeah. Don't don't hesitate. Um, so we could talk a little about that, but I'd also like to talk about, in general, um, why is there so much Isaiah in the Book of Mormon, um, other than the obvious? What what do we think is going on there, and what are some of the ways that we can look at Isaiah in the Book of Mormon, and there's there's a, a little twist that's come out recently. Brant Gardner has his study Bible, or excuse me, his study Book of Mormon. Martin Tanner and I interviewed him about that. Interpreter put it online this week. Um, he starts with the um, Book of Mosiah 
and then he ends with the small plates because that's the way it was dictated. And um, I know Joe Spencer kind of treats it the same way in his book that's published by University of Illinois Press. And so what is the utility of studying Isaiah in the Book of Mormon that way? And what are some of the, what are some of the things that we need to watch out for in case, you know, in, in case we, we get some kind of a misimpression about that? Uh, Kevin, let's start with you. Okay, well, um, first of all, we realize that you need some help to read Isaiah, because even the Book of Mormon itself, I remember uh, Elder McConkie gave a talk about four keys to understanding Isaiah, where he talked about uh, searching, pondering, you know, and just the, the careful reading plus the contextualization that no one can understand the things of the Jews, say that it be that you're taught after the manner of the things of the Jews. So you need some cultural background plus the spirit. So he called those four keys for understanding Isaiah. And that there has been a lot of work on it. Uh, first of all, you have to read it a little bit yourself just to, to get a little bit of the flavor. And if you struggle, then you go get some help. Like one of the books I've got in my hand here is this Isaiah in the Book of Mormon that Don Perry and Jack Welch put out in about uh, uh, 1998, I think. And it's still a very useful book. And there's you know, several different approaches to that, like Gileadi's literary approach. And you can talk about uh, Don Perry and uh, some other people like uh, Joe Spencer has books on it. And Margaret Barker has an interesting take on it that I found was coming from a different direction than usual, but I found it. Is I that the one that's in the, uh, that's in the uh, Erdman's commentary on the Bible? Uh, well, in the Older Testament that she wrote, and I think it was the, the material in the Older Testament okay. that got her invited to do the part for the Erdman's, and I, I've got that too, the, the commentary there. But there's... <clears throat> There's the, the notion that uh, there are different Isaiah authors, and I think uh, since and Nibley and, uh, wrote about that in Sense Camorra that was published in the, uh, in the Improvement Era, and uh, there have been several different LDS writers' takes on it. Uh, Victor Ludlow has, has talked about this. So there's, there's been lots of discussion. So if you haven't run across it before, just realize that this has been an ongoing discussion. And uh, some really bright people taking different views on it. And, the, you know, the, the view that I took on it in, uh, in Paradigm Chagrined, I think, is still a little bit different. But uh, it's that you can reconcile it in a number of different ways. So it's, it's important just to read what's there and appreciate why it's there instead of getting hung up and saying, well, it shouldn't be there. And saying it shouldn't be there doesn't explain the Book of Mormon very well. It's just using that as an excuse. and But how the Isaiah is used in the Book of Mormon and what it's saying in there and the importance of it. Like Lehi, uh, Nephi himself says that I might fully more persuade you to believe in the Messiah. You know, I'm going to teach you from the Book of Moses, or books of Moses, but that I might fully get you to appreciate the Messiah. I'm going to quote Isaiah too. So he, he emphasizes the importance of Isaiah. And there's this, Isaiah is... So, you know, quoted openly and extensively by Nephi, by Jacob, uh, by Abinadi, and then later when the Savior comes, the, the Savior gives commentaries and quotes chapters of Isaiah on this, so that it, it's, it's something that's consistent and powerful and rewarding, ultimately, when you get your little bit your finger on the pulse of what's going on. Mark, I think a lot of people are intimidated by 
Isaiah in the Book of Mormon. What's your advice to them? Whenever I think about Isaiah in the Book of Mormon, there, uh, Jack Welch told a, a joke at a symposium about a man who a, a soldier who was hit by a, a sniper's bullet in the, in the jungles, um, a soldier, and it it hit the his pocket Book of Mormon, and this man realized that his life had been saved because the bullet couldn't get through the Isaiah sections in the Book of Mormon, which sounds a lot like a lot of us. Um, I think that. It's, it's really, well, what am I trying to say? The Isaiah portions of the Book of Mormon are some of the most unique portions of Scripture because what Nephi is testifying of the legitimacy of the Bible. You know, that that's, that's, seems fair to say. That's one of his purposes for writing. Um, you know, the Book of Mormon's you know, one of its purposes is, you know, showing that God, God has spoken and he still speaks. And, and by bringing all this Isaiah in, I think he does, you know, does that. He testifies of the legitimacy of prophetic writers. Um, but he does so, or in, back this up a little, he, in, in talking about Isaiah and, and quoting him so extensively, he shows that the Nephites are part of the big picture. He shows that you know, much like um, the prophecies of Isaiah that talk about, um, you know, being lost uh, on the isles of the sea and, and being, you know, remnants. You know, these are things that would have been interested or of interest to the Nephites. You know, they they were the Nephites were, you know, in, in Isaiah's, um, you know, mind as as Nephi, you know, portrays it. You know, these these Nephites were, you know, lost and but not forgotten. You know, they were still still part of the plan. They were still remembered by God. And, you know, by by utilizing Isaiah, you know, he still is able to offer comfort, you know, to the Nephites and as, as well as showing the, you know, the coming of the, the Messiah and who Isaiah prophesied about, you know, pretty plainly. Mm-hmm. So, John, recently, as I was mentioning, there's there's kind of a different approaches to to the way the Nephites looked at it. If I, if I understand part of, of this approach, Mormon put together the large plates and wrote, put it all on there, and then he found the small plates and added them. And it's really in the small plates where we find more straight Isaiah. I think the first, the first application of Isaiah in the large plates is Abinadi. Right. Um, now, there are... I think there's a utility to looking at it that way, but as you and I were talking previously, there might be something people want to might want to look for if they're using that approach to make sure that they're that they're not over overdoing it. Well, so, um, so the first question that comes to mind is. Why should the order you read the Book of Mormon in make any difference on Isaiah? So Nephi and Jacob both use Isaiah. Abinadi uses Isaiah. Jesus uses Isaiah. And they each use, uh, by and large, use different parts and have different purposes in quoting Mm -hmm. that material. Um, And so... You should be able to read 
any one of those treatments on its own. Mm -hmm. Okay, so why should the order make a difference? Well, where it could make a difference is if one of the understanding is building off of something previous. And then you have to ask yourself, well, if that's the argument, then the order that it's translated is one order, and the order in which it was written is another order, unless you don't think that the Book of Mormon is historical, in which case you're assuming that the order that it gets translated, starting with Mosiah mm-hmm. and ending it with... Um, with Jacob, essentially. With Jacob, essentially, is, is that's the historical order. And if that's what you're assuming, then you're assuming that the Book of Mormon is 19th century fiction. And that's why you might want to be aware of, of that. Um, but I want to go back to your earlier questions, like what's Isaiah doing in the Book of Mormon? Mm-hmm. Because uh, well, let me just before you do, let me let me just interrupt because I do think there is one way of looking at this, and that is this: Mormon is the primary editor. Okay. Yeah. So Mormon intentionally included Abinadi's use and, and Jesus's, Jesus's use. use, and so if you look at it just in that light and isolate Mormon, and then isolate Nephi, I think that's the way you do that without maybe um, causing the problem of the historicity that you, that you were that Well, you were it, it's, yeah, but in which case, why not, why put Mormon in front of Nephi? Mm-hmm. And that's mm-hmm. why I say— Because they're still sh- too isolated and independent people. Right, right. And, and, and I mean, that's why I say in their theory you can, independent. you can look at Abinadi mm-hmm. and his interpretation on its own. Yeah. You can look at Jesus' use of Isaiah on its own. And so in in theory, it should not matter. And each of those you can look mm-hmm. at on their own. And the order doesn't matter unless you want to make some sort of case that they're dependent mm-hmm. on each other. And then that can lead mm-hmm. to the, okay. the problem. So that's sure. why you start off with... Okay. We, each individual one. All right, so, but let's jump to the original. The original point question that we were is: raising. Is what's yes. it doing in there? And Matt Roper and I, many years ago, write a, wrote a an article with the subtitle "Early Nephite Understandings of Isaiah and Implications for Others in the Land." Mm-hmm. Uh, this was put into a Sperry Symposium bo- volume, and um, it has recently. Oh, it came out just. Uh, it came out it last was month, re- right? It was reprinted. They, um, I first I heard about it. They said, "Can we reprint this essay? We want to do a uh, a volume of the best Book of Mormon scholarship that has appeared um, in this case through the Religious Studies Center on the Book of Mormon." And so it was published in a hundredth part. And we deal with the idea, the idea that we're promoting there is that Isaiah's, Nephi quotes a lot of Isaiah material that deals with 
how the Gentiles are to be treated. And he specifically says that he wants his people in his day to liken it to themselves, which doesn't make any sense unless they're Gentiles in the promised land. Hmm. And so one of the reasons that he quotes that Isaiah material is to, is to specifically to solve the problem of what do you do with Gentiles? How do they treat them? How do they fit into the covenant? How do they fit into the gospel? And so that's the... And that's why he's quoting Isaiah is that he's is that that provides a solution to that. And then that issue doesn't come up again in the Book of Mormon until Jesus, because Nephi using Isaiah solves the problem, and then it's not an issue anymore. And. Uh, but it doesn't make any sense for him to apply it to his own day unless there's some some others in the land that um, that are Gentiles that they have to worry about. And, okay. um, and, and so that's one of the reasons why uh, we wrote the article, and it's really Matt's idea, but he didn't have time to develop it, so he let me... Play with it. Play with it. And uh, <laughs> so that's in it. And there are other good articles in that. It really is a best oh, of yeah, volume. Yeah. And mm-hmm. it is. Uh, it, who, who's, remind us who the editors is. That's a hundredth part. And it just came out from Religious Studies Avram Center. Avram Shannon and Carrie Hull. Mm-hmm. Um, it's got History of the Book of Mormon by Dallin Oaks, which yeah. was originally given to, as a farms talk. It's got stuff by Noel Reynolds, Jennifer Lane. Andrew Smith, Dan Peterson, um, Dennis Largy, Dana Pike, Donald Peterson. You know, some of these have passed away. Ugo Perego. So all of it's it's got a number of things that mm-hmm. are worth looking yeah. at. Yeah, I had a I had a stack recently um, for all of those. There are several on the Book of Mormon that are, that have come out with different themes, and that was one that what I found was really intriguing to me. But that one at least deals with why, why is Isaiah in the Book of Mormon? And one of the other reasons that we ought to bring up is because Nephi specifically says that he's quoting it to bring people to a knowledge of their Redeemer. So um, the way Nephi sees Christ in Isaiah uh, you can't read Isaiah through a Book of Mormon lens and miss that. If you mm-hmm. miss that, you've missed the point. And so uh, I know it's popular in some quarters to downplay that, but that really is the reason why it's yeah. included there. I mean, if, if you're doing it, you need to do it for a limited purpose, and really that's not the main purpose. In fact, I, I know yeah, so Don Perry commented on that as well. Yeah, so that is really why Nephi sees that as important. And there's a reason why Isaiah is, I think, the third most commonly cited book, Old Testament book in the New Testament, Mm -hmm. um, because they saw it that way too. And if you read things like the Targums, 
they see it as messianic all over the place as well. Mm-hmm. Well, I would also comment that out of all of the articles that Interpreter has put out, and I want to say it's getting close to 600, more than 250. I mean, I haven't done this for a couple of months, but the survey that I did, over 250 of them had, a, had an emphasis on the Book of Mormon. And so that is a major element of the Interpreter Foundation and its studies and the scholarship, and it's a reflection, I'm sure, of just the people who are out there. So we want to thank you for listening to us this evening. Once again, this is Terry Hutchinson with John Gee, Mark Johnson, and Kevin Christensen. We appreciate you being with us. Uh, Join us again next week with another group of co-hosts as we give you another thing on an Interpreter Foundation. That's it for this evening. Thanks for joining us.